This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, welcome, everybody, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, it is my pleasure to serve as host and moderator as the six debaters you see sharing the stage here with me at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Three against three will be debating this motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. In that debate, you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, act as the judges. By the time the evening has ended, you will have voted twice, once before the debate begins and once again at the end, to tell us whether you agree or disagree with the motion. And at the end of the debate, the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. And let's let the debate begin. Round one, opening statements. We begin with Mark Zandi, who is an economist and the founder of Moody'sEconomy.com. During the 2008 presidential campaign, he was an advisor to Senator John McCain. He has since become an advisor to the Obama White House. Mark, I'm not sure what that tells us about which side you're on, <laughs> but the floor is yours. I'm an ecumenical economist, uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, I want to thank Intelligence Squared for the uh, opportunity to... Uh, be here today. It's cer- certainly an honor to be here and to address such an important topic. I'm going to make uh, three points in my opening remarks. Uh, point number one, I think it's really quite amazing the totality of the policy response from the administration. I, I think we forget all the things that have been done to try to shore up the economy. Perhaps the most important thing in my mind with regard to the effort to shore up the financial system were the bank stress test. Do you, do you remember the stress test? This was done back uh, earlier, earlier this year. And to me, those stress tests were the modern-day equivalent of what FDR did back in the Great Depression. He, I'm going to exaggerate just a little bit, but only a little bit. He closed all the banks on a Friday, and he said on the subsequent Monday to his Treasury Secretary, open all of them except a couple hundred of them. And the Treasury Secretary said to him, well, which one should I, uh, should I open? And uh, FDR said, well, it really doesn't matter because the ones you open, everyone will think are safe, and life will go on. And... <laughs> In fact, it worked. It restored confidence, and uh, that was the beginning of the end of the Great Depression, and the stress test, in fact, did that. It restored confidence, and the financial system is stable. The second broad area of the policy response was to shore up the two weakest parts of our economy, the housing market and the auto market, the first-time homebuyer tax credit, uh, very important in stabilizing housing values this summer, the loan modification plan to help uh, homeowners who are uh, facing foreclosure uh, efforts to provide more credit to the residential mortgage market through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA. Here's a statistic for you. 90% of all the residential mortgage loans being made today are being made by the federal government. And the third policy response, uh, broadly speaking, is the fiscal stimulus. Much maligned, but ultimately, at the end of the day, very successful. I don't think it's any accident that the recession came to an end at the same time that the stimulus was providing its maximum economic benefit to the economy. And the stimulus is lots of things. It's aid to unemployed workers. It's help to state governments. Uh, a long list of things. The infrastructure spending, all very important. So please remember, point number one, that the uh, policy effort is a range of many things. It's been incredibly uh, ama- it's amazing and cr- incredibly unprecedented what has been done here and uh, key to bringing uh, an end to this great recession. 
Point number two, here's the statistics. Uh, the statistics, I think, are overwhelming. A year ago, think back a year ago, what was going on? Major financial institutions were evaporating or being nationalized. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, AIG. And look at the situation today, the financial system. It's not normal, no, but it is stable. Think about the economic statistics. Uh, GDP, the value of all the things that we produce as an economy, grew 3.5% in the third quarter, and the growth was re- very broad-based. That was the first substantive growth in over a year and a half. The job market. At the beginning of the year, we, lost, we were losing 700,000 jobs on average every single month. In the last three months, we lost 200,000 jobs per month. Now, I know that's a lot of jobs. Unemployment is still rising, but the trend lines are right. They're moving in the right direction. And my view is by early next year, we will have a stable job market. And by the end of next year, we will have job growth that's meaningful enough to uh, bring down the rate of unemployment. So everything is moving in the right direction. Finally, point number three, I said there were three points. The proposition is the Obama administration's policies are working effectively. It's not they have worked. This is not a a mission accomplished. No one is arguing that this is over and done with. So uh, in my view, uh, what the administration has done has been highly successful. Thank you, Mark Zandi. Our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and our first debater to argue against the motion, James Galbraith of the University of Texas. He generally argues from the left. He also has a rather scathing view of economists in the United States in general. He has said that on all important policy issues, they are on the wrong side. Himself an economist, James Galbraith. Thank you very much. The question before the House may appear political, but it in fact is not. The question is about the economy. It is about whether the economic program is working effectively. Lawrence Summers, the chief economic advisor to the president, told the Washington Post on November 8th, quote, I think we got the Recovery Act right. The primary objective of our policy is having more work done, more product produced, and more people earning more income. We agree with that standard. The economy is not performing up to that standard. Basically, the Obama economic program, the principal points are two. One is the Recovery Act, the stimulus bill, and the other is the policy of providing free reserves, credit at zero interest rate, to the banking system in the hopes that credit will flow again. Now, the stimulus did do some good things. It helped forestall the complete collapse of budgets in the state and local government sector. It has created some construction jobs and will create more. The question is, is it enough? The stimulus was enacted based on a forecast that unemployment would not rise past about 8% by the middle of this year, would decline thereafter. That forecast was clearly wildly optimistic. Now, it's true. Free money has saved the banks. Everyone knows this from their profit reports and their bonuses. The stock market has come back, and so has the price of oil. Is this enough? We think not. We think the housing crisis is important. We think the collapse of small business is important. We think 10% unemployment, as far as the eye can see, is a disaster. We know, as every business in America knows, that credit is not flowing again. What would a working program look like? First, it would resolve rather than coddle the toxic banks. It would stop the displacement of people from their homes. Not just slow it, not just help a few, but stop 
the displacement of people from their homes. It would help older workers who are ready to leave their jobs to retire by providing them with a more comfortable employment and health care that they can count on at an earlier age uh, than 65, opening up places for younger people who are looking for jobs in today's catastrophic labor market. The facts are plain. Better than nothing is not good enough. Thank you very much. Next to argue for the motion, we asked the White House if they would provide uh, a member of the administration to take part in the debate. They did not want to do that, but they suggested our, uh, our next debater, Larry Michelle, who is the president of the Economic Policy Institute. So, Larry, I, I, I'm not saying you're the White House's guy, but now everybody's going to think of you that way as, <laughs> as you get up. But the floor is yours. Well, I hope I get invited to the next uh, official state dinner then. Um, <laughs> You know, as an economist, uh, over my career, I've been focused on what are the living standards of the American people, the working class? How have they done? And so what has mattered to me most on economic policy is, in fact, what have we done to create jobs to get the unemployment rate down? And so I want to focus on the Recovery Act. And I'm here to say that I think it has actually been a bold and effective act. No, it has not solved all our economic problems. It has not solved the unemployment problem. That is not quite the standard that you should uh, imagine for judging whether the policies are effective. Uh, Let me just say my imagery for all this. Uh, President Obama inherited a really large apartment building. It was all a flame, a fire. He gathered all the fire trucks and hoses he could, and he put out the flames in at least half the floors. But the critics say, look, there's still fire. And so your policies must be wrong. And especially, it turns out, these critics are the conservatives who actually lit the darn fire. And they tried to keep the fire hoses from actually getting to the fire building. I think it's actually quite outrageous. Now, it's a somewhat different. Over the nine months that included the last half of 2008 and the first three months of 2009, none of which were the responsibility of President Obama, we had the fastest decline in the economy since they started, basically since they started collecting the data in 1947 on a quarterly basis. We had already seen 6 million jobs lost by March 2009. So we were really in deep you-know-what. And so we had the Recovery Act, which was passed very quickly and effectively, actually started having some effect in March, but mostly started having an effect in April. And I want to go through exactly what it does so it's not an abstraction. What are the different components? Support to the unemployed. Why does that matter? Because by supporting their incomes and their spending, it creates jobs throughout the economy. Secondly, there was a major influx of money to uh, state governments who, by resolving their own deficits, when they have to cut programs and raise taxes, they actually, what, what Paul Krugman said is, they are like 50 little Herbert Hoovers. They are driving us into a recession by actually exacerbating the problem. Okay, there's also third, a tax cut that was in effect in April. Everybody's withholding on their W-2s was actually increased, providing more income, more money to spend. Uh, Last, there was some government spending and infrastructure that started going out. What has been the effect of all this spending? Over the last six months, uh, we've actually seen uh, a much different uh, outcome than what was uh, projected in the in the in the springtime, the economy shrank by a little bit. It would have shrank by around four uh, percent, but it actually shrank by a little bit less than one percent. 
In the, in the summer, uh, it, the economy actually grew. Now, as someone dedicated to raising the living standards of, of the entire uh, broad middle class, who's satisfied with that? I'm not satisfied with that, okay? We calculate that the Recovery Act has actually created anywhere between 1.1 to 1.5 million jobs by the end of September. I'm not satisfied that the job losses are 200,000 uh, rather than 700,000, but I think it's quite great. I'm very worried about the fact that, I, that unemployment is going to be high for many years to come, too high. I don't blame that on President Obama. I blame that on the bums that put us in this mess. And you should, too. Okay? And thank you very much. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Stay with us. So here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have six debaters, two teams of three, fighting it out over this motion. Obama's economic policies are working effectively. And now on to our fourth debater, Alan Meltzer, who is an economist at Carnegie Mellon University. He is not the liberal member of his team. He is far from it. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Meltzer. There were five reasons for concluding the policies are not working effectively. First, the forecast that $780 billion would be spent, the maximum unemployment rate would be 8%. It's now 10.2%, continuing to rise. That's a failure. The second is the administration recognition that the policy has failed. If the policy had succeeded, they would not be talking about another stimulus program. That talk recognizes that the stimulus was not effective. Third, the administration invented something called jobs saved. You can search economic textbooks from now to the end of time. You will not find something called jobs saved. The composition of the stimulus is the fourth problem. That was decided in the Congress. It was a mistake by the Obama administration to let it be decided in the Congress because the Congress was interested much more in the redistribute the wealth than it was in seeing jobs and the economy improved. One-third of the stimulus went to state and local governments. That may be good or bad policy, but it has very little stimulus. It simply transfers the deficit from one place to another. Finally, fifth, do you remember shovel-ready projects? Well, only 25% of the dollars for the infrastructure have been spent. I believe that we have the wrong policy. The problem that we are all going to face for a long time to come is that we have a huge debt that a large part of it is owed to foreigners, and it's growing. Now, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says we have a debt explosion. The government debt-to-GDP ratio was about 50% when the administration took office. The CBO trajectory says it's going to 700%. That means we're headed, unless we do something about the exploding debt, we're going to have a crisis. Many years ago, I started to tell people capitalism without failure is like religion without sin. Governor Spitzer is going to talk about that in the context, <laughs> in, the con- 
in the context. Can I switch back to the other side? <laughs> in the context of the banking system. Alan Meltzer, your time is up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and our next debater, who will be arguing for the motion, Steve Ratner, who has gone through many careers. He began as a journalist, he switched to finance. Good call, by the way. Um, And he recently had uh, the beginning of a political career as a Treasury official. He joined the Obama administration. I'm sorry, he came to the White House, and he was given the job of the auto rescue. The GM deal, that's him. The Chrysler deal, that's him. However, he does not like the term Carzar, which is too bad because it's very musical. Well, my, my paternal grandparents, who were fur peddlers in Moscow, would be rather shocked at the idea that I was a czar of any kind. So I, um, I will... All kidding aside, I actually do want to make a serious point. Uh, and with all due respect to the first two speakers from the other side, I want to try to, uh, to take the ethereal world of theory and connect it to the real world of politics, because I heard a few things that kind of that did strike me. I heard... We have to stop the displacement of people from their homes. I mean, these are all wonderful phrases, but this is, uh, as I found in my six months in Washington, not how the world works. So you can say, people can say our stimulus program was not enough. Uh, It was all Congress was going to pass. There was no more there. It took every ounce of political muscle that the administration have to get that. You can say it was too much, but I think, uh, as Larry Summers has said many times, When you are facing a potential disaster, you err on the side of doing more, not less, and they did as much as was possible. Um, Let me turn uh, for a minute now to the auto uh, sector as well, because I think my two uh, fellow panelists uh, made very, very coherent and logical and I hope ultimately persuasive cases for why um, the rest of the policy actions that the administration took uh, were thoughtful. And so let me, let me talk for a second about autos, because it was an interesting area. It's one of the few areas where the president actually did have authority. And so if you don't like what the president did on autos, uh, it's fair to blame the administration for that, because we didn't have to go to Congress. We had TARP money. And when we showed up, we had a bunch of people from one side of the aisle saying, you've got to let, you've got to let these companies fail. You've got to let the market work. It would have meant that Chrysler and GM would have shut down by the end of March, It would have meant that hundreds of suppliers would have gone out of business, and you would have had something like 3 million people out of work, mostly in the industrial Midwest, right at the end of March, right when the economy was at its worst. Then you had some people, frankly, on the other side who basically said, you can't let these companies go bankrupt. It would be catastrophic. It would be a disaster. Nobody would buy cars. They would eventually liquidate. You can't possibly do that. But President Obama made the decision that we weren't going to simply kick the can down the road, and we were only going to inject money in the context of a fundamental restructuring that might have to include bankruptcy, which it ultimately did. So I think it is a very uh, vivid example of a place where we got, uh, we weren't too hot, we weren't too cold, we were very pragmatic, we addressed the problem, we focused on it, and we tried to come up with the best solution for all concerned. And I think that that exercise, which I was proud to be a small part of, was emblematic of the approach that this administration has taken. So I was very... uh, Proud to be a part of that, and I would simply say to you, would you prefer this administration or the last administration or some other administration? Because I think this administration has done awfully well. Thank you, Stephen Ratner. 
Our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively. And here, too, as our final speaker to argue against the motion, Elliot Spitzer, the former attorney general and governor of New York, a man whose career has been marked much in headlines, some that were favorable, some that were not. He is, however, at this point in the media himself, having become a financial columnist for Slate. And I want to point out to our audience that when this debate was conceived, Elliot was actually going to argue the other side. He was going to say the economic policies are working effectively. He has switched sides now. And, Elliot, I hope in your opening remarks you address the basic question, what's that all about? Sure. Well, that, that, that was not the proposition, but thank you. <laughs> The, the, the short answer, the short answer to, uh, to your question is that I read Mark's testimony. I was going to say, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, we were on the same side, and then I read his very persuasive testimony that he provided, uh, testified before Congress a few weeks ago, and he goes through point by point, and I'll get to it in a moment, the, the terror that we are facing and, and how treacherous the, the shoals are that we are going to uh, run up against in very short order economically. And I said, my goodness, this is not working at all. Let, let me also say very clearly that the Obama administration's economic policies, in my mind, stand for continuity you can believe in. We are still giving away vast sums of money to the same people. So the bank profits are way up, unemployment is up, investment is not increasing, consumption is not increasing, and we are not seeing any of the wise transformation in the fundamental structure of our economy that this crisis calls for. Let's deal with numbers just for a moment. And these are numbers from Mark's testimony. They are there out in, uh, online, of course. These are irrefutable numbers. Unemployment up to 17.5 percent, 26 million people, increasing at the rate of several hundred thousand per month. Yes, the 700,000 a month, that was when we were in free fall. Right now, we are still in free fall, 200,000. There is not any affirmative news on the job front, and I will get to the General Motors in a moment in terms of what they stand for in terms of jobs. Foreclosures. Foreclosures are getting worse, not better. Credit markets, are, credit markets are dysfunctional. Your word, we all agree with it. Credit markets are dysfunctional. Small, medium-sized businesses cannot borrow, simply cannot borrow, even though we have given trillions of dollars to the mega banks that came crawling to Washington saying, please, 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 we can't pay our bonuses. State and local governments... <laughs> The AIG conduit payments to Goldman, the $12.9 billion, 100% on the counterparty payments, absolutely outrageous. Tim Geithner must explain this to the American public. Absolutely outrageous. State and local governments will be going bankrupt. They are down 10 15% in their revenues. We have handled it for one year. They will go over a precipice next year. That will lead to the full-time shutdown of school districts, fire districts, property revenues will plummet, sales tax revenue, real estate revenues all dramatically down. Let's be real about this. Manufacturing jobs, we are losing. We have lost a third of our manufacturing jobs in the last decade. They do not come back ever. You look month after month over the last decade, Good times and bad, they do not come back. It is worse now than it's ever been. That is the core of our economy. We can, cannot all be lawyers and investment bankers. We need clients. The clients are all gone. It doesn't work. The fundamental error of this administration is that it is continuity. They have embraced the Bush administration view that if you solve the problem of big banks, everything else flows from that. They are wrong. Too big to fail is too big. Thank you very much. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion being argued, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. And as you recall, at the beginning of the evening, we asked you to vote on whether you agree 
or disagree with the motion. And we now have the results from our live audience. Before the debate, the motion being Obama's economic policies are working effectively. 32% of you are for the motion, 29% against, and 39% undecided. That is where things started. You will vote again at the conclusion, and the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. Now on to round two. It's our middle round, and this is the round where the debaters go more head-to-head. They'll be taking questions from you, the audience, and from myself as well. And I would like to start by lifting something from what Elliot Spitzer just said. He, he came up with five words that more or less sum up their position. We are still in free fall. Is it true? Anybody on the team arguing for? I'll take a crack at it. Um, no. Uh, in a word. Uh, do you remember back a year ago? That's free fall. That's when uh, we were panicked, uh, when there was uh, runs on major banking institutions, uh, Wachovia, uh, Washington Mutual. You're afraid to keep your money in your bank. Today, uh, we've got stability. Uh, it's, it's, the, the policies aren't magic. They can't work uh, overnight in a matter of a few months. Uh, but look where we are today. Think about the counterfactual. Think about what the world would look like without these policy responses. In in my strong opinion, we averted what would have been another depression. Yes, this was a very severe recession, uh, but we averted a depression. So, no, we're not in free fall. I'd like to ask the audience, but with a show of applause, whether whether you find that point convincing. Are we... And and, and now to the response response from Elliot Spitzer. Let me frame it this way for you, Mark. There is the easy decision, which is to spend a ton of money. We needed to do that. We all knew we would. I don't think it mattered who the president was, and thankfully, obviously, uh, I am a fervent uh, supporter of the president. There are three questions that follow that actually matter. The first question is who pays for it. And it's not so obvious that it needs to be exclusively the taxpayers as opposed to those who are equity debt holders and, indeed, the former executives of the companies, even though that would be a small number numerically, nonetheless symbolically important. So who pays? And we've gotten it wrong in that regard. Two, what reform do you get for the money you're spending? Because rebuilding the same facade, the same edifice that's been broken will not get us anywhere. And the, the primary grievance that I have with this administration is that we are spending the money rebuilding the same structures, the same decision-making process that got us to where we are right now. And third, job creation is the most important metric that's out fourth, there. That's fourth, Elliot. Fourth. Right? You're an economist. I was, economist I, I was right. in political yeah. science. We can, yeah. Usually yeah. we want to count higher. Don't I count fudge now. No, Don't no, fudge. No, 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 no. Mark, we had, we had a premise in three questions. All right? right. Let me bring in Larry Michelle. <laughs> so, Larry, what, what, your response to what you just heard. But job, job creation. Ellie, let, me, let me bring in Larry Michelle. Well, I, I really think it's worth keeping two things separate. One is the whole financial market issue, which is primarily the motivation of what you're talking about, Elliot. And then there's the question of uh, job, jobs and the Recovery Act. There was nothing foreordained that anyone who got elected was going to actually do what was done and put together a nearly $800 billion uh, package. Uh, and that was going to be able to uh, move the needle as much as the needle has been moved. Not that we're to be satisfied. I mean, uh, you know, they got as much as they could out of the political system. If you wanted to get more, you had to have a different Congress. I don't think there was a different political strategy. I can, I can, I can pick All right, let, let me bring in Jamie. The question oh, before the House is not whether in the very difficult political environment the president's team did as much as they could. 
The, the question before the House is, are the policies working effectively? That's a question about the economy and not about the politics. What has happened here is that the financial wealth of the American middle class, built up over six or seven decades, is largely evaporated. It's a colossal disaster. If we're going to deal with the problem that we have, we have to think about the scale of policy, scale of policy that goes well beyond what the political environment in Washington is prepared to deal with, and we have to persuade it to change. Otherwise, we are not going to solve these so problems. So let, let me bring that back to Stephen Ratner, who's arguing for the motion that policies are working. And, and Stephen, I mean, that's an argument that, that they're, they're conceding the rescue succeeded. The canoe did not go off the cliff. But they're saying going forward, it, that does not solve where we need to get to. Uh, I think without getting into a big semantic debate over the question, if the question were, is the economy in a happy place, we'd all be on one side of the table. The question, in, in effect, in my mind is, is, has Obama put forward and tried to implement policies that will have a positive effect on the economy and move it in the right direction? And I think, I hope we've all made a very clear, convincing case that it has. Nobody would disagree. You guys are great at giving us a litany of what's wrong. Elliot, you gave us what's wrong with the economy, and I only heard one or two suggestions for what to actually do about it. I don't know what your suggestion is about General Motors. Is it to let it to go bankrupt and have a couple million people out of jobs? I don't know what your suggestion is about Goldman Sachs and the derivatives contracts. I don't like it any better than you do. Would you like the financial system to melt down the way Lehman Brothers did? And I guess I'm surprised because you were governor. You know what it's like up there. You, were the, you showed up in Albany and said, day one, everything changes. And it didn't because you had the legislature. Well, let, let me... Let, let me... I'll tell you exactly what I would have done. It may take more than two minutes, but I'll, I'll limit it. In terms of cars, I would have said, no, we're not going to just give billions of dollars to a shell of a company. We will say we will buy 500,000 battery-powered cars two years from now from whatever domestic producer. I don't care whether it's GM, Hyundai, Kia. Produce it here, 80 percent produced domestically. And we will build the, the electric recharging stations akin to what Eisenhower did on, on the interstate system. Build a new infrastructure. Create – take the money – Take the money that we gave to Goldman. Instead of saying, here it is, $12.9 billion, use it to create Felix Roten's infrastructure bank. The dollars could have been used in many different ways. Instead, when we made these enormous transfers, we didn't ask for anything back. It was the failure to, failure to ask for anything back that was fundamentally wrong, and that is why we are left with the same system we had before. But let me ask Alan Meltzer. Are, aren't we, are we not better off with, with AGM in some form rather than no General Motors? I'm with Elliot. What the country needs to do is think about the enormous debt that it owes to foreigners and how it's going to pay them without bankrupting the country. And the, the only answer that exists is you have to export. We have to export. And in order to do that, we have to invest. The administration made that mistake. It should never have made that mistake because Larry Summers certainly should have known that the problem we're going to have is how to finance that debt with more exports, and that's going to require greater investment. And one of those investments is the kind of investment that Ellie was talking okay, about. Okay, I want to come back to Mark. I want to come back to you. Mark Sandy, to respond. You know, uh, in the efforts to shore up the financial system and the auto sector and other parts of the economy, we did get something. We got equity uh, in a lot of these companies. And uh, here's a, a prediction. This is what I do for a living. I predict that at the end of the day, we are going to get most of that money back, if not all of it. And in fact, 
uh, many of the banks have repaid a lot of the loans, uh, capital we took into the institutions, and we've made money on that. So at the, when this is all said and done and over and done with, uh, this, the cost will be measurably greater, and, and that's because we did get something when we did uh, help them get through this period. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan. And you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Six panelists are arguing for and against the motion, which is, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. This debate includes former governor of New York, Elliot Spitzer. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Woman in the fourth row. And Elliot, I see you champing at the bit to get in on this, so I'm going to let you take this question if it's relevant to you. But you must answer this question. (laughs) Um, The question is, at what point do we think the financial uh, services and the whole banking system needs a a reform? Once the government is no no longer throwing money at at, at the issues, what is going to happen? There is a sentiment that next year could be a double dip. What is your opinion? Your first question, which is the fundamental one, which is, how do we begin to reform the financial services sector? That is where the fundamental disagreement that I have with the administration emerges, because they have spent such an enormous amount of effort and capital rebuilding the same edifice, and those funds could have been used. Steve, this is where we disagree. Of course we needed to preserve General Motors, but what we also needed to do was invest. Those funds could have been used to confront the mortgage crisis. Those funds could have been used to pay down some of the enormous mortgage overhang that is keeping consumers from being in a position to spend. Instead, we simply gave the cash to these banks, and where it is going is, to a great extent, proprietary trading, overseas investment, all of which is economically worthwhile for them, but not for the totality of our gross domestic and product. Mark said, that the, is where the, we disagree. The, the point Elliot is, the, uh, Elliot is saying that the, 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 the policy has rebuilt a machine that broke once rather than figuring out a new design for a machine. Well, the financial services industry wouldn't agree with that. They're fighting financial regulatory reform very uh, strongly. Uh, they feel that, that these efforts aren't uh, in their best interest. So I, I don't think they would agree uh, with that position. And actually, it is quite substantive, the reform that is making its way through Congress. You know, there there is a lot of debate, but, uh, you know, broadly speaking, a number of things are going to come out of this. There is also an effort to uh, uh, fashion a systemic risk regulator that can look across the entire financial system. Another problem we had in this current financial crisis is that uh, uh, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury did not have the ability to quickly resolve cases like Lehman Brothers, which were not bank holding companies at the time. And then third, uh, the effort to establish a consumer financial protection agency. The idea is establishing an FDA for financial products because I think it's clear from the crisis that many people who got loans really did not understand the loans that they were getting, and that, of course, created a problem. So uh, the system will be very different uh, at the other end of this. Let's um, – sorry. Well, let me, let me talk take, about – Let me talk to Alan about, Mozart the administration, this administration, as trying to do something about the banking system is laughable. What they're doing is putting it back where it was. Only it's bigger now because there have been more mergers. We have, for 30 years, through various administrations, had too big to fail. Now, what is too big to fail? 
It is a system in which the bankers make the profits and you, the citizens, take the losses. That's not a good system. The Federal Reserve... It's not good for you, and it's not good for the country. Steve Ratner, respond. And then we bail them out. Steve Ratner, respond. Let me just say a couple quick things. First, to say that nobody in the financial system has suffered any pain. Uh, You should ask the people who worked at Lehman Brothers. You should ask the people who worked at Citigroup. You should ask the people who worked at Wachovia. Uh, Most of them had huge amounts of their net worth in those firms. Ask people who didn't get bonuses last year. Goldman Sachs is Goldman Sachs, but a lot of people in the financial services industry took a lot of pain. That isn't the issue. It's the public that's taking the big losses. Well, no, 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 no. That, 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 is, that is not true uh, because, as, as Mark just said, I think when the dust settles, I think you will find that the government actually did pretty well on a lot of these investments. I'm all for fixing these problems, but let's do it thoughtfully, not with a meat axe. Well, look, can I just do it up? Jamie, I stifled Jamie. When Alan said it was the public taking the losses, he didn't mean the government budget. He meant the citizenry of the United States. They're the ones who have taken the losses in this matter. And as Mark Sandy already pointed out, the question here is, again, as Elliot has said, do we restore the existing banking system or do we truly reform it? And that means having a system which is more competitive, better run, easier to regulate, and led by a regulatory structure which is effective at monitoring and preventing the kinds of massive frauds, particularly in mortgage origination, that requires uh, having enforcement mechanisms that work and going after the perpetrators, as was done in the resolution of the savings and loan crisis, when, I should remind you, about 1,000 industry insiders were convicted of federal felonies and went to jail. I, I want to bring in questions, so Jamie, if, you, if you can give a brief. I, uh, wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. I would just add this point. We already have a systemic risk regulator. It's called the Fed. They just didn't do their job. The question shouldn't be, do we need no, to pass a law? No, that's not true. It, that's absolutely that's not absolutely, not true. absolutely the case. It's absolutely not true. Well, the, the Fed had no... Well, you know what? Fed, you ask, you the ask Fed, them whether the through their Fed, monetary policy, the through their Fed control of no, access to the Fed, the Fed window, they no controlled... All right, all right. I see... I think I see where we both feel about that. woman in the second row... The question is for Steve Ratner. I would like you to comment on the status of the dollar today, please. Well, um, Mark, well I, I, let, me, let me let Mark Zandi uh, take that. Well, I think the, uh, the decline in the dollar that we've observed uh, recently over the last six to uh, nine months is entirely appropriate. Uh, actually, it's been very orderly, entirely appropriate, and a net positive for our economy, at least so far. Gentlemen in the center. The question is, what would the panelists do to try to implement the change that they're talking about dealing with the Congress we presently have? Steve Ratner, you, you described, you described what, what passed as almost a miracle. I think this is, in all seriousness, a, a huge issue for the country to think about. The whole concept, when you get to Washington, of realizing what Jefferson had in mind when he designed or was part of designing our system. The Capitol is on the Hill. The White House is down at the bottom. Article I of the Constitution is the Congress. It's not the executive branch. The power that the Congress has is, is formidable, and it, it was created in an era where we weren't going to be dealing with 
uh, with toxic assets, and we weren't going to be dealing with regulatory reform. We weren't going to be dealing with green jobs. I think President Obama has done as effective a job as humanly possible in, pro- in promoting a responsible agenda through Congress. But if you take something like reg reform, or financial regulatory reform, not to use the jargon, it is mired in a series of intra-congressional uh, jurisdictional disputes over who would be in charge of this agency or that agency if you happen to pass something. It is a, it is a very broken system. Elliot Spitzer. Steve, we agree about the merits or demerits of legislative branches. I think we would agree on that point clearly. Having said that... Having said that, the question is, what role does the executive play in defining the parameters of the debate? When it comes to regulatory reform as it relates to financial services, the president did not strike a position, did not articulate a position that said very clearly, here's where we must go, which is what FDR did. FDR rewrote the rule book. This president, unfortunately, embraced the existing rule structure, moved jurisdiction around marginally without saying the fundamental predicate of the issue, too big to fail, must shift. He did not embrace the fundamental change that was needed. And that concludes round two of our debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater, two minutes each, and it's their last chance to change your minds. And as we said all along, this is a debate of persuasion. You have been asked to vote before the debate began. You'll be asked to vote again after the debate. The team that changes the most minds will be declared the winner. And to remind you of the results of the preliminary vote, our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively. 32% of you are for this motion. 29% of you are against, and 39% are undecided. You'll be asked to vote one more time, and that will decide our winner just a few minutes from now. But first, round three, closing statements. We're going to begin with James Galbraith, economist and professor of government and business relations at the University of Texas at Austin's School of Public Affairs. Our side in this debate has presented an emphatic call for action. The other side has asked you to accept excuses. Yes, the Congress is an obstacle. I worked for the Congress for 10 years. I know how difficult it can be. I was there, though, in 1981 when Ronald Reagan rolled the Congress, and I would like to see once in my professional life, once in my life, for someone on our side to do the same. This this is a dangerous moment. The cost of inadequacy is extremely high. If the program falls short, then the political situation, the political momentum will be lost. Can you err by doing too much? The prospect is extremely remote, and if you did, you could always pull back. It's exactly the kind of boldness that is needed to confront the situation that we do not have yet and that we could only hope will develop in the next stage of policy of this administration. Thank you, James Galbraith. Summarizing for our motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Summarizing for this motion, Mark Zandi, chief economist and co-founder of Moody'sEconomy.com. Yeah, you know, to me, I think people lose sight of uh, the severity of the situation that we've been in, the crisis that we've just gone through. And I think uh, the administration has been thrust into this in the middle of it and has been all about trying to bring an end to that crisis, to quell the crisis, to quell the panic, to bring an end to the Great Recession. And 
here we are, you know, nine months into this administration, and look, the panic has been quelled. Uh, yeah, we're still nervous. We're still cautious. But just think where we were. The Great Recession is over. The Great Recession is over. Yet yeah, it's not fully engaged. Policy isn't magic, but the recession is over, and we're moving in the right direction. Now, it's fair to say that we need to do more. You know, but the proposition is, are the Obama administration's economic policies working effectively? Working. And the administration has got an, a range of policies that it's put forward, tough policies on difficult issues, health care, financial regulatory reform, energy policy, a budget deficit that's been a problem for many, many years. And look, we're starting to discuss it, and that, to me, is proof positive that they are working and we're working in the right direction. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Mark Sanders. Making his summary statement against the motion, Alan Meltzer, University Professor of Political Economy at Carnegie Mellon. The subject is, are we working, is this administration's program working? Most forecasts for the future say the unemployment rate is going to stay up in the 10 to 11 percent range for a couple of years now. That's not what I call working. The banking system, the financial structure is unreformed. In addition to that, something we haven't talked about, the administration has made threatening moves in the trade area. The administration has increased tariffs on tires, steel pipes, next coming coated papers. China is retaliating by putting restrictions on auto imports. That's a disaster, a bad policy, not a policy that is going to produce growth in jobs and improvements in the United States. It's a policy which is going to make the world poorer. And summarizing for the motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Larry Michelle, president of the Economic Policy Institute. If the future is grim, and I agree with Alan Meltzer that, in fact, there is going to be persistently high unemployment that's unacceptable. Is that the Obama administration's fault? Or is that the fault of the kind of policies that actually Allen himself and conservative allies have advocated for many different years? <laughs> to my liberal friends, uh, in my view, uh, there's been, uh, and I'm, I'm, I have not been uh, an Obama supporter from day one of that campaign. I'm, I'm far from in the bag for the Obama administration. I'm to the left of the Obama administration. Okay? Um, <laughs> I've been surprisingly pleased, much more pleased than I ever thought I would be by the direction of of what they did with the recovery plan, much larger, well-designed in terms of putting out some uh, money early that got things going, some back-end public investments for energy alternatives, infrastructure, science, training, education, et cetera. I think it's very well-designed and smart. A lot of their other policies are, are directly on target. They're trying to do big, bold things. I'm quite surprised and quite pleased. You should be as well. Summarizing against the motion, Elliot Spitzer, former governor and attorney general of New York. First of all, thank you all. This has been spirited fun, and we probably disagree less than some of the rhetoric tonight would suggest. But let me say this. I'm tired of hearing blame pushed to Republicans in Congress. We as Democrats have a majority in both houses. It's about time we used it. It's about time we stood up and used our majority. It can be done, and we should do it. I am worried. I think Mark is exactly right. Some of the nervousness is gone. 
The nervousness is gone primarily because of what the Bush administration did, pushing a lot of money to the banks. That wasn't the Obama administration. But precisely because the nervousness is gone, the moment for the fundamental reform we need is passing. And rather than galvanize that urge for reform, rather than push for the fundamental reform that we need in terms of jobs, investing in education, investing in health care, driving up uh, the, the average wages of workers, the administration is reinvesting in a status quo, primarily a financial services sector, based upon the incorrect, but maybe it's a benign interpretation, the incorrect belief that putting the money there will generate the jobs. So yes, Steve, we agree we needed a bailout, but that's not where jobs are coming from. Jobs will come from small, medium business. Banks should lend to them, but the banks that would lend to them don't have the capital because all the capital went to the mega banks that are not going to lend to them anyway. That was the critical mistake. Thank you all for being here. And finally, summarizing for the motion, Steve Ratner, who led the administration's efforts to restructure the auto industry. So, Elliot, let me see if I have this right. The mistake we made was quenching the fires of the financial crisis, which took away the urgency to do anything about it, so we should restore the financial crisis so there would be some desire to do something about it. Is that right? I I said we didn't use it properly. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Wait a minute. minute. That is really against the rules. There is two minutes. Without you saying anything. So I want to say that the only systemic authority that the Federal Reserve would have had to bail out Lehman Brothers would have been to bail out Lehman Brothers exactly what you don't want to have happen. So there was no authority to deal with Lehman Brothers. One more comment to you before I leave you alone for a second. Um, This idea that we have, and to Jamie as well, the idea that we have a majority in Congress, yes, we have a majority in Congress. It is very much in name only. We created our uh, political leaders a big tent in order to have those majorities. That tent spans a lot of ideologies. Uh, and it is very difficult to marshal majorities, let alone the 60 votes you need in the Senate where there are two independents, to get something done. And you guys make it sound easy. It is, not, it is not easy. You make everything sound easy. You tell us, you know, just wave your magic wand and you'll have financial regulatory reform. It's not that easy. Um, you've also set up a false dichotomy. You've said uh, that you've raised this question of whether or not we should have more action. Of course we should have more action. We all agree that we should have more action. The question is, what is responsible? How do you get it done? And what makes good sense? And I would argue what I said before, I won't repeat it all, that this administration has put forward responsible policies in every area. And what I frankly have heard tonight from the other panel is, let's just go do it and let's pretend we're at the Aspen Institute or the Brookings Institution. It's just not how it works. And that concludes closing statements for this debate. And now it's time to learn which side argued best. Who are our winners? Um, Remember, the team that changes the most minds here is declared the victor, and here's how it breaks down. Before the debate, our motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. 32% were for the motion, 29% were against, and 39% were undecided. After the debate, 46% are for the motion, 42% against, 12% undecided. The side for the debate wins. Our congratulations to them and to everyone who took part from me, John Dunvan. Goodbye from Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whitmore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. That's IQ plus the number 2 plus US.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR, National Public Radio.